teasing. We're looking at hope through the lenses of the five senses, as Debbie talked about when she lit the Advent candle earlier in the service. Last week, we talked about the taste of hope, and we tied it into communion. And our character today that we're going to look at was touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it gave her great biblical hope. And so we're going to talk about the touch of hope this morning. And we're going to continue the Christmas story. So I remind you as we're moving through it, just let me remind you quickly of the beginnings of the story last week. Mary gets the news that even though she's a virgin, even though she's never had sexual relations with a man, in fulfillment of the prophetic word from about 700 years previous in the book of Isaiah, she is going to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she is told that she is going to give birth to the Messiah that they've all been expecting all through the history of Israel. Her husband Joseph hears about the fact that she is pregnant and assumes that she, and and rightly so, I guess you would assume that she's been unfaithful to him, and he is going to hit the ejection button on their relationship. Now again, in this culture, when you're engaged, it's very different than in our culture. In their era, when you were engaged, it was basically like you were married even though you weren't. And so if you ended the relationship, you actually went through divorce proceedings. And there was two ways that he could play this. He could be really loud about it and destroy her, or he could do it more quietly on the down low. And so because of the kind of man he is and because he wanted to care for her, he wanted to do it quietly. And he's preparing to do this, and he goes to sleep at night, and God appears to him in a dream, as God often does. He speaks to people through dreams and visions. And he says, Joseph, I don't want you to be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In fact, I want you to marry this girl, because she has done nothing wrong. She's not done anything sinful. She's not had uh, sex outside of marriage. In fact, what is going on in her, life is, in, in her life is from me right now. And the child that she is going to give birth to is named Jesus. And you're going to name him Jesus. And we read last week that the heart of why he was coming is that he would come to save his people, to save me, to save you, to save everyone that would receive it from their sins. And this is at the heart of why Christ was coming and Mary and Joseph were involved. And so Joseph obeyed, Mary obeyed, even though it cost them more than we can even begin to imagine. And they did this because they were prepared to allow God to touch their life in this way. As did the character we're going to look at in just a moment. And you know, touch... (laughs) Physical touch or touch is such an important thing. And it's different than the other four senses. Because the other four senses are all located in a particular part of the body. But the sense of touch is all over our body. And my understanding is there's about 20 different types of sensory neurons in our body. So some of them deal with cold, some with heat, some with pain, some with pleasure. And of course, these neurons have different levels of sensitivity. And so you can pinch the skin at the end of your elbow, and even though you feel something's being pinched, it doesn't bother you, it doesn't hurt in any way. But if you 
poke or prod or injure your fingertip. The sensitivity is incredible in your fingertip. In fact, so incredible that, that a person, if they want to, can just feel bumps on a page and they can read Braille. That's how sensitive we all know fingertips to be. Or if you've ever bitten your tongue and drawn blood, it hurts like crazy because the tongue is incredibly sensitive. And so we would be in such trouble without touch. It allows us to experience pleasure. It allows us to experience the change of air pressure, vibrations, temperature changes. If the temperature changes even by one degree, we sense it right away. It allows us to experience pain, which on the surface we think, I don't want to experience pain, but pain, um, even though it's painful, is a very positive thing, right? Because it allows us to avoid injury, to avoid disease and danger. And so touch is very important. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is look at another incredible woman of God who was touched by the power of the Spirit. But before we read the verses about her, I need to give you the background of her life so you can appreciate and understand them better. And this background is found, basically, I'm going to be drawing it out of Luke chapter 1. And it's the story of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, we're told in the opening verses of that chapter, is a very godly person. Her husband, Zechariah, is a priest. In other words, he's part of the tribe of Levi, who are tapped from the 12 tribes to be the priests of the nation. And her husband, Levi, is a priest. And we are told in verse 5 that both of them observed the law blamelessly. This is code word for the fact that they didn't just outwardly comply with some standards. But this had changed them inwardly. That they were people of integrity. That even when someone wasn't watching, they would still act out of their relationship with God. And because God had touched their life and changed their life, they were godly, holy people. This is important to remember through what all we're going to say in the next few minutes. Godly, holy people because of what God had done in their life. But they were unable to have children. And they prayed about it frequently. I'm sure they fasted and prayed about it. And, and, and many people, there'd be many people here that understand the difficulties of not being able to have children. But all during this time, all during the time when you would traditionally have children earlier in the marriage relationship, God never seemingly answered their prayer. And they were unable to have kids. One day, when they were older and physiologically it was no longer an option for her to have kids, her husband, it was his turn, and they would take terms doing the priestly duties, and his division of priests were working at the temple. And as the division was working, they would draw lots to go into a certain area of the temple to burn incense. Only one person did it, and the lot fell to Zechariah to go into that area and to burn incense to the Lord. And one of the things they did, uh, one of the reasons, or two of the reasons for incense was that it covered up the smell of the sacrifices. That's one of the things. But the other one was it was a, a visual image of their prayers rising to God. And so as he was burning the, image, the incense, he would be praying. And, and up till this point, this is all historical fact I've been sharing, but let me just guess here about something. I'm guessing that he was praying 
for the coming of the Messiah at this point, which was a common practice of the priests. But that's just a guess on my part. So historical fact, a guess. Now let's go back to historical fact. As he's praying, an angel appears to him in a section of the temple and says, Zechariah, all those prayers that you've answered for all those years, asked for all those years, are now going to be answered. And you and your wife are going to have a child. And you are to name that child John. Well, Zachariah is kind of a bit overwhelmed by this, and he actually sort of says, like, there's just no way this can happen. We're sort of past the years where you can have children. And God says to Zechariah, because of your lack of faith, you'll not speak for the next nine months. You'll be mute for the next nine months. And he is. But Elizabeth is all in. And when he's done his rotation, his division of priests have done their rotation of serving, he returns home, and right away she becomes pregnant. And six months goes by. And at that six-month period, at the end of that six-month or in the middle of that six-month period, this is when Mary, that we talked about last week, has her encounter with the angel. And the angel lays out for her what God's plan is for her life, and he never forces anything on anyone. She responds, and she says in verse 38 of chapter 1, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You need to understand the weightiness of those words. We have no idea. By saying yes to Jesus at that moment, she knew exactly what she was potentially losing. Her family, all her friends, all of her community would likely ostracize her. She would give up any opportunity to be married in that culture. There was no social safety net in that culture. There was no opportunity for her to work then. Therefore, in order to survive, she would either have to beg or become a prostitute. And there was a very good chance that she would be stoned to death. And she knew all of these things were in play. This is an incredible woman of faith. Teenager. And she says immediately, may it be to me as the Lord would have. Let me just stop for a second and just say, I don't care how old you are here today. Whether you're a child or a teenager like Mary probably was or someone older in life like Elizabeth was, when God taps you on the shoulder, what will your answer be? What will your answer be? Trust me, he doesn't want you to just lay there dormantly. That's not the biblical faith that we're talked to about. He has something for every one of us. And when he taps us on the shoulder, what will the answer be? And there may be incredible cost involved. Maybe not, but there may be. Well, we're told in the text we're about to read that basically right away, Mary 
as soon as she gets the news from the angel, she travels south-southwest down into the hill country of Judea, which would have been an arduous, dangerous trip. Very little water to drink down there. You have to be watching for water or you are going to die because it's desert-like conditions. And she makes this trip down to the hill country of Judea, southwest of Jerusalem. And she goes to visit Elizabeth, who is a relative of hers. We're not exactly sure how they're related. Probably some kind of a cousin. Because she has heard that Elizabeth has had an unusual experience of her own. And this is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 46. 45, rather. At that time, so just after the angel had spoken to her, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Didn't just move a little bit. Leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And so Elizabeth is just doing whatever she's doing in the house or whatever, and she gets this surprise. Mary shows. They didn't have texting back there, obviously, and or email or phones. And so it's just like, surprise, I'm here. And the moment she hears Mary's voice, Elizabeth is touched another time by God. And the Spirit of God causes the baby to leap in her womb, and at this moment, she's touched for a third time. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And she immediately exercises one of the spiritual gifts. She has a supernatural word of knowledge that she immediately puts into place. Because whenever God gives us a gift, he expects us to use it. And so he gives her, she, he's filled with the Spirit. She's given this gift, and she uses this gift. And so she, what I mean by that is she knows something that she could not have naturally or normally known. She has a piece of information, which is what a word of knowledge is. And she knows something she could never naturally have known. She could only have known this supernaturally. And so after God touches her, she says in a loud voice, Mary, you are an incredible woman of God, an incredible person of faith, and what God has said is going to take place in your life will take place. And these are two women who surrendered their womb. You know, us men don't get that stuff, right? We don't even begin to understand what it would mean to surrender your womb. I can't imagine what it means for a woman to surrender her womb in this way. And so Elizabeth says, Mary, you're just this incredible woman of God. You've said yes to God, and you will give birth to the Messiah, 
And that the heart of his mission is he comes to save his people. He comes to save you, Mary, from your sins. Because Mary was a sinner just like you and I. He comes to save me, Elizabeth, as a sinner. He comes to save Scott 2,000 years later. He comes to save everyone in history who will acknowledge their place before a holy God and recognize their sin and ask Jesus for forgiveness of it based on his work on the cross. Now, it's interesting to me when I read this because when I first read this, you know, there's just several ways that this could have gone. After God touches her, Elizabeth could have envied Mary. Think about that with me. Mary's son is going to be greater than your son, Elizabeth. Now, son John, he's pretty cool. Like, he's going to be a prophet, we're told, in the earlier part of the chapter, along the vein of an Old Testament prophet. He's going to come and he's going to call the people uh, to account for their sin. But he's also going to prepare the way for Messiah himself. He's going to be kind of a wild figure living out in the wilderness. Uh, I've seen many of these people living, like guys like John, living out in the wilderness of Israel, living in caves and things like that. And he will live out there and he'll just eat really weird food, but he's going to have a significant ministry and he's going to bless many people. But Mary's son is going to be the Messiah. But with Elizabeth, there's no envy. She's not jealous at all. Instead, we're told in the text that she's filled with joy. Let me ask you a real personal question. How do you react when God does something really cool in somebody else's life? Do we envy those God has touched in a way that he hasn't and never will touch us? We learn from Elizabeth. We rejoice with those people who God has touched. Because God always uses us in a way that's best suited to his purposes. He always works with people that are compliant, that are willing, and he uses us in a way that's best suited to his purposes, best suited to how he's created us to be. And then when God touches us, he likes to use us to bless other people, and this is exactly what Elizabeth does. Now, I want you to imagine as well with me, if you're Mary and Joseph, Mary hears from this angel, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah in fulfillment that everybody in our shared history has been waiting for. Mary and Joseph both say yes, and then she scurries off on a long journey down southwest of Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're not like me, but once in a while, when you go through like one of those real wow experiences in life, we kind of step back from it after the fallout is all kind of settled, and we think, did I just dream that? Did that really happen? You know, somebody better pinch me to make sure I'm really awake. For Elizabeth to be touched by God, 
And then God supernaturally speaks a word through her. This would have blessed Mary. I don't know what Mary was going through, but I can't help but wonder if she's going, wow, did that really happen? Like, I know it happened, but did it really, really happen? She makes this journey down, and Elizabeth, touched by God, says these prophetic, spirit-empowered words to her. And Mary would have known again and being renewed in her faith right at that moment. There's no way this woman could have known what's happened in my life, and yet God has spoken through her. And he has given me great courage for the journey ahead. He has renewed my faith because he touched her and she was obedient. And my faith is stronger because of this touch. Do you see how important it is when God touches you to use the gifts that he's given you to serve? There's other people that are counting on God's work in and through your life. And when we refuse to do that, it's pretty selfish. In the first service, we had a great service in the first service. We had five people that were baptized in the first service, all from the same small group. And let me just give an advertisement for small groups. There's like somewhere north of 225 adults that are in small groups in our church. They meet all through the week and in different situations and locations. And the goal is to, to pray together, to study God's word together, to do the journey with Jesus together in a mutually supportive way. And so to see this, these five baptized, all from the same small group, that was a cool moment. Baptism is a celebration of what Jesus has already done in your life. So maybe as a child you were baptized or christened or dedicated, like we dedicate here in this church. I was christened when I was a little wee one. The, the goal of all that is looking forward to the day when that person makes the personal choice that only they can make, which no one else can make for them, uh, to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And then baptism, as it's pictured in the New Testament, of which everyone that received Christ was baptized, it looks back to the day when that person or that, that time or that era in their life, when they gave their life to Christ. And so we had five people that got up and they said, let me tell you the story of how God has touched me. That's powerful. That's powerful. You know, you can debate, well, I've got all these intellectual concerns about stuff I read in the book or whatever. You can't debate a person's story because it's their story. It's the story of what God has done in their life, how he's touched that life and changed that life. And so this is one of the reasons, again, to go through the waters of baptism because it's important for the people to have their faith renewed, to hear the story, the shared God story of what he's done in that person's life, and to make a very public stand. Pastor Aaron will often say, plant the flag publicly. Because what happened before was between you and God. It's a private thing. Now publicly you're saying, you know, back in the day I gave my life to Jesus. Now I want everybody to know whose team I'm on. 
There's something very powerful about that. And so I just ask you, have you told your story? If you've never been baptized, we will walk with you. We will walk with you on how to do it. And it's just a very biblical thing. Just study the book. Everybody that bowed the knee to Jesus got dunked. It just happened. There's only one exception, and that's the thief on the cross. And there wasn't time to baptize him before he died, and that's the only reason they didn't. So Jesus touched me, changed my life, and I'm sharing the story. Have you been touched by Jesus? Has Jesus become the Savior and Lord of your life? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit, like our characters in the scriptures here? which is still fully available today. The touch of Christ changes us. And then we go and we align ourselves with him publicly. Do we we pray for and, and look for those opportunities to declare our alignment with him? Where we say yes to what he's called us to do. Have you figured out what he wants you to do? Because there's something for everyone. looks different for everyone. But have you figured out what he wants you to do? We serve him despite the fact that it may cost us. Just like these two incredible women of God. Wow. They're shining examples of the touch of hope. found nothing really feels the same my head a bit higher I lift my voice a little louder something inside has changed I'm a mountain mover away.